Good morning. Uh, thank, thank you, Betsy. I'm actually really thankful that you um, were able to present that because I've been a little bit torn today with this uh, sermon because I anticipated that it would take kind of a practical direction, just like you explained, and then it went a different direction, and I was like really conflicted about that, so now I'm not conflicted anymore. Thank you for that. Um, and good morning to all of you. Um, I know some of you, I don't know all of you, and some of you I just don't recognize because you're wearing masks maybe, but um, welcome to you, and um, it's great to see you, it's great to see people, it's great to be with people. My name is Danny Moore, and I'm on the uh, team that's doing the preaching and teaching here uh, for the foreseeable future, and so I'm just a uh, cog in the wheel, so to speak. I got to turn this on. Sorry. You showed me this earlier. I know. All right. All right. Um, anyway, today's message is going to be as uh, we just heard in, in the book of Acts, chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And we've been going through Acts. And one good thing about going through a book like this is that you hopefully, if, if you stay tuned week to week, you get to see the, the contours of the big storyline as it goes. And so this is a continuation of the storyline that we've been hearing about, and it'll continue on through uh, the next coming weeks. But here is the way in which I would summarize uh, the message today. And so it's, it's this. If you are ever getting lost as I go, just come back to this. It's fairly straightforward. The gospel demands fellowship. Fellowship is hard. Fellowship reverses the curse of sin. We all need fellowship with Jesus and his people. All right, so I'll repeat those as we go. But that's it, my effort at summarizing the kernel, the essence of what we're going to be talking about. Um. One of my favorite stories uh, is from a friend of ours. Uh, his dad was a pastor, is, is still a pastor. He's a pastor in Montreal of a small uh, French-speaking church. We, um, I, I knew his dad a little bit, but his, uh, my friend tells me the story that his parents got involved with um, a, a dinner. They were hosting a, a conference or something, and they had pastors from all over the world, I think, coming. And they had some friends that came from France, and they had friends that came from Alabama. So they all had the idea to go out to dinner one night. Um, and so they go to dinner. They didn't, these other two couples didn't know each other, right? So only my pastor friend, he knew both of the couples. So they sit down at dinner, um, and after a little while into the conversation, the French couple, they order a bottle of wine. And the uh, gentleman from Alabama leans over to my, my friend's dad and says, Hey, I, I thought you had said they, they were Christians, but they're, they're ordering wine. So what's, what's going on? So I don't know what his answer was specifically, but a little while, in, a while longer into the conversation, the... French guy leans over to our friend and says, hey, I thought you said they were Christians. Like, 
she's wearing lots and lots of makeup and has really big hair. Like what, what is going on? And I think this story, um, I love the way that it demonstrates the like sort of, sort of cultural hangups, the reflexive or instinctive ways in which we perceive people and how we size them up. And their cultural sort of dictates, determined for them, predetermined for them, that this is a bad thing to do or that this is not a good thing to do for a Christian. And there was, there was all, automatically, they didn't even know each other, but there was automatically like a, a divide that was erected, right, between them in terms of coming together as Christians around a meal. And I think it's like a, a fascinating story, and it demonstrates really well for me a little bit about what we're going to talk about, that different cultural orientation makes Christian fellowship really hard. As Betsy talked about, that's something that's going on here with the, the Greek-speaking believers and the Hebrew-speaking believers. Similar to our French couple drinking a bottle of wine and our, you know, big makeup, big-haired Alabama couple. And no offense to you if you're from Alabama or from France or you... Um, subscribe to their particular, you know, dress philosophy or drinking beverage philosophy. Fellowship is hard, though, right? Fellowship is hard. And with that, let me pray quickly. Lord, we're thankful for this opportunity to gather around your word. I pray that your word would ring true in our hearts. We pray that we would hear the calling of Jesus to gather with other believers, and I pray that we would be enlivened by the Holy Spirit to act according to your good message to us. Amen. Fellowship is hard, and I'm not going to read the passage again. Thank you, Betsy. Betsy read the passage better than I can. So, Fellowship is hard. The newly gathered people of God, they're not looking like and they're not acting like the gathered people of God. All right? Growth brings challenges. If you have kids, you know this. If you are growing yourself, you know this. Um, But certainly in a church community, growth brings challenges. The church here is growing in Acts. This is my kid right there. I don't know what he's doing. He's going to the bathroom for the second time in five minutes. He's not impressed with what's going on up here. Growth brings challenges. The church is growing. The disciples were increasing in number. Back to verse 1, it says that. In those days, as the disciples were increasing in number. It's a good problem to have, right? But you have the Hellenistic Jews, as as my version says, or the Greek-speaking Jewish believers. And then you have the Hebrew-speaking Jewish believers. We're not hearing about the Gentiles yet, right? That comes a little bit later in the book of Acts. But you have these two different distinct cultures that have come together in the church in the book of Acts. Hellenistic Jews were, that's just a a way of 
The, the way to understand them is they were immersed in Greek culture of the day. Whereas the, the Hebrew-speaking Jews, they were, uh, it, it's, it's not a very polite term, but they were, they were like true blue Jewish people, right? That's, that's how they perceived of themselves. And of course, these are gross generalizations, but the generalizations are basically true. Um, there was a lot of uh, flashpoint and discrimination, and there was a lot of acrimony between these two groups. It had resulted in, like, violent acts. It had resulted in lots and lots of writings of the day, demeaning one group or the other. And here they are uh, gathered in the church in the book of Acts. So the challenge here is concerning meal fellowship. And there are a lot of questions, and I just want to say there's also this big elephant in the room. We're talking about the importance of Christian fellowship around the dinner table, what have you, and we're in a pandemic. So I don't, I don't know how to work that out, but I, I just wanted to acknowledge that like we are wearing masks for a reason, right? Because we are in this situation, and I don't, I don't know how we can apply all of this. So that's for you guys to figure out. I'm just declaring I don't have the answer. But the challenge here is concerning meal fellowship. Meal fellowship is a favorite uh, motif, like a recurring theme of, of Luke. If you go read through Luke's gospel, and I'll just challenge you, go do that. And pay attention to all the ways in which he describes uh, having a meal or eating or gathering. And then look and see what he's doing in the book of Acts right here. And it kind of is uh, exciting to see because Luke wrote the book of Acts, as we've heard. But he focuses a lot on this, this fellowship meal motif. So just a couple of examples really quickly. In the, in the Gospel of Luke, you have the feeding of the 5,000, right? You've probably heard about that story. You have Jesus dining at Levi's house. Um, Levi was, I think he was the tax collector, right? Um, and, and there's a statement there that, you know, they were, people were skeptical of Jesus because he was dining with the, the sinners and the tax collectors, right? But it's a, it's a major story from which we get a lot of information about what Jesus was doing. So that's the second example. And then you also have the banquet parable. Um, so you have in this, I'll just read the statement. It says, where Jesus says, blessed, this is where, just to refresh your memory, blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then the master told the servant, remember there was this master who said, go, I'm going to have a feast, invite all these people. Oh, I'm too busy. This guy's too busy. Oh, this guy went on a trip. He can't come. And he's basically like, okay, go out and find some more people to come if they don't want to be here. Jesus says this, Blessed is the one who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then the master told the servant, Go out into the highways and the hedges and make them come in so that my house may be filled. So there's a writer that I was reading about this week, and, and he identified through looking at this motif in Luke and in Acts, he summarizes it into three basic themes about what this motif teaches. Outcasts get included. You have the reversal of uh, in enmity or, or fighting or division. You have the reversal of that that gets taught in these presentations. And then you also have this recasting, this remaking. This is really fun, by the way, to speak 
with this mask on. I love it. Singing, too, is um, recasting God's people into a new kind of people, right? Those are the three themes that he identifies. Inclusion of outcasts, reversal of enmity, and recasting of God's people, or remaking of God's people. And so that's from, that's from Luke, but then you see the example really clearly in Acts also. So just to read it, 246, you have these themes kind of being drawn together. That's why I think there's a lot of merit to this. Acts 246 says, Every day they devoted themselves to meeting together in the temple, and they broke bread from house to house. So they're eating, right? They ate their food with joyful and sincere hearts. That's different than eating their food with skepticism and sideways glances, right? Why are they drinking wine? Why is their hair so tall? It's different. But with joyful, uh, what does it say? Joyful and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. So you get this sort of idyllic scene with these uh, believers gathered around, eating, breaking bread together. It is different than what we see going on here in Acts 6. But these three themes are drawn together in Acts. So who who were they, though? Do you remember? um, Who were they that were breaking bread in each other's homes, joyfully sharing sincere hearts, worshiping God, finding the favor of all the people? These are the same people in the day of Pentecost. These people from all over the, the, like, that part of the world. Jewish people from all over that part of the world came to Jerusalem, right? And so they were gathered up as this new people of God there. Um, but again, you have the, the outcasts. That's what Luke is stressing here. The outcasts are being brought in. The reversal of, of, of enmity is being brought in. And the people of God are being gathered, again, from exile. And so uh, my mind then is just like really alive with like all of this Old Testament imagery that is coming to fruition here in the book of Acts. It's, it's really exciting if you think about the big global story of God's work. But focusing now on Acts 6 in our passage... That's Luke's, that's Luke's emphasis, right? Growth brings challenges. They're not acting like the people of God. In Acts 6, you have these fractures and these fissures forming in the early church. So the contrast between their gathering in each other's homes, breaking bread, to the widows are getting neglected. It's two, two, two different scenes that are not the same, right? Fractures and fissures are forming. They're not carrying on Jesus' ministry. The widows, they're, they're an outcast. They're lowest on the totem pole of importance in society at that point. The Hellenists, they were the Greek-speaking Jews. They were seen as outsiders that were not naturally included into the Hebrew-speaking Jewish culture. So they're getting left behind. So it's like it's a, it's a double whammy, these, these widows. Not only are they widows, but they're not even Hebrew-speaking widows. Um, God's people are getting divided. And this is a diversion from Jesus' desire. 
And this is not a, a sermon, by the way, about denominations. Um, I think I think that would be a tempting thing to conclude, and um, that'd be a big discussion to have. But just so you know, that's not what I, where I'm going. I'm not demeaning denominations. But this is a diversion from Jesus's ministry. So in Luke 22, 27 is this fascinating situation where um, Jesus says this, and it connects to our passage here. For who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? At the table, Jesus serves. Sorry, who is greater, the one at the table or the one serving? Isn't it the one at the table? But I am among you as the one who serves. At the table, Jesus serves his included fellowshipping collective people. Again, that's in Luke 22. Jesus is saying, I am a servant of you. And the phrase here in Acts 6 is about waiting tables. I I think you can make the connection in Luke's mind, at least. I think he was trying to do this. Jesus is a servant of those sitting at the table. It's like he's waiting on them. He's hosting them. He's pouring their drinks. He's giving them food. He's making them feel included and making them feel comfortable. He says, I am among you as one who serves. So at the table, Jesus serves his included, fellowshipping collective people. And he calls his people to do the same thing. So you see the problem here in Acts, they're not carrying that out. They're not serving one another in that way. People are getting excluded. People are getting forgotten. People are getting neglected. So, the gospel demands fellowship. We just assume that's good, right? Uh, Fellowship is hard. That's what we've seen here. In Acts, it's hard. It's hard stuff. It doesn't come natural all the time. Next, fellowship reverses the curse of sin. So, the apostles here in Acts 6, they they, they... They move to restore this proper fellowship. So they become, they say, should we wait on tables? That's in verse 2. This meal fellowship motif becomes a shorthand, idiomatic way of proclaiming the name of Jesus and declaring the good news. To wait on tables is to provide the setting where there's table fellowship with outcasts and the oppressed and where that takes place naturally. So, the outcasts are included, the reversal of enmity, you have the collective people of God gathering around, the Hellenistic Jews, the Hebraic Jews, but there's a breakdown, but this has been God's desire all along. This was Jesus' mandate, was to serve, right? To serve in this way. And it's not just to be busy serving and doing, but it's to do these three things, to reverse the curse of sin, to include the outcasts, to break down the walls of division. So we, we think about how this can play out all along God's redemptive activities. In the temple, you saw this like this division, but everybody, poor and wealthy, could gather and worship at the temple. You see this in the tabernacle. You see this in Jesus going out and touching the people that were not supposed to be included. And you see his mandate to the church, and you see in Revelation, 
right? This great gathering at the end of time where all tribes, tongues, and peoples will be there worshiping together. So fellowship reverses that curse of sin. And we all need this fellowship. I think this is almost my last point. We all need fellowship with Jesus and his people. Fellowship naturally breaks down, right? These sort of artificial things that like crop up and they can seem really big and important to us. Like, do you drink wine or do you wear makeup? Fellowship naturally just kind of, it, it kind of crumbles if we don't like maintain it. Fellowship naturally breaks down. I don't even think that the, the Hellenistic widows were intentionally getting overlooked. It doesn't seem to suggest that. It just seems to say they were getting overlooked. They weren't being cared for well. True fellowship, symbolized in this meal fellowship, advances Jesus' ministry. It visually enlivens the reversal of sin through Jesus. So that's why God's people are called to be those who include the outcast who serve those that need service because it, it expresses the good news of the gospel in a real tangible way. And this had a tangible impact. So again, Becky read this, but in the last verse, verse seven, this like little tag on statement, it says the, the disciples in Jerusalem increased as a result of them putting into process, hey, these people are getting neglected, let's fix that. The disciples in Jerusalem increased, and a large group of priests became obedient to the faith. The priests were formerly hostile, but now they're being included in coming underneath the apostles' authority and teaching. It's a fascinating little statement that just seems like you just blow right by it. But Luke's making a big, big point there. Go look at what the priests have been doing up to this point. They've not been like a friendly ally, right? So as someone, I, I'm sure there's lots of people like this. I'm not the only one. Um, it's getting better as I grow older, but I haven't always been like really super comfortable in, in my own skin, right? Do you know, do you know that, that phrase? I don't know what a, a different, like, uh, uh, what would my wife say? I'm, I'm awkward on, didn't know. I won't say that. You know what I'm talking about, I think, right? Some of us, we just, we, we're always like working really hard to be included and to not be outcasts. There's something very warm and inviting about each of us recognizing that like we are not truly an outcast in the world and in the work of Christ. So, Going to a party and feeling like out of place. Going to work and feeling like I don't really fit in with these people. Maybe you don't even fit in in your own home. Like, I don't know what it means, but when I was a kid, my favorite thing to do was to be alone. I, you know, so I, I think that's just that, that sense of I don't, I don't know where I feel comfortable. And to varying degrees, people have that experience their whole life. And so when you have a person who's visibly someone who's on the reject list, 
right? There's something very, very warm and welcoming and godly about the message of Jesus coming down to move people to let that person get taken off the reject list and put into the accepted list. So Christians are called to carry on this, this serving ministry of Jesus to include people at the meal of fellowship, which is an idiomatic way to talk about how the gospel advances. It's helping push back sin and the curse that we're all under. So how, how to do this in this day and age? Um, I, I, again, I, I don't really... I don't have the answer to that. But at least we can be aware of it. At least we can connect the uh, daily activity of, of, of life and wanting to be Christ followers with something that's like practical. And then we can see how we are a part of Christ's work to redeem a lost and broken humanity. Let me pray. Lord, we um, have a big calling on our lives to be people that carry on your good work of service to include others that are naturally not included, to reverse hostility and infighting and enmity, and to become and to be remade as a collective people with all stripes and colors and looks and persuasions. All of Israel, the Hellenistic Jews, the Hebraic Jews, they were supposed to gather and serve one another. And Lord, our calling is the same. And we're thankful that we have instruction in the importance of that. In Christ's name, amen.